to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Jed Brewer. Hey! With us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, Lee Younger. I'm second, which is usually Jed's place, so I'll say, greetings! Nice, nice. That's right. Everybody's shifting over. It's a real next man up scenario here. Uh, we are this week without current uh, co-host Glenn Fitzgerald. He is traversing the frozen tundra that three quarters of this podcast has been cursed to live in, and uh, yeah. you got to take it slow <laughs> when there's ice on everything. <laughs> I believe my first winter here, I described it to someone as it's like the entire world is covered in nonstick coating. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> yeah. You can flip an egg on the sidewalk, but you can't walk on it. So that's about where we're at. But yeah, we do have the normal uh, shenanigans. We have some of your amazing questions. But first, we have to declare a television opportunity emergency. Oh, wow. unlike all television that's made nowadays, this is uh, rooted in nostalgia. Is it going to be the fun kind of nostalgia or the st- or the sad kind of nostalgia? <laughs> Only time will tell. Uh, earlier this week, uh, Lee shared with Jed and I, he had found online that they were making a, I guess it would be a sequel, a reboot or something of that 70s show, but set in the 90s, much like when that 70s show came out in the late 90s. <laughs> it's about the same split of time, and it's best that we wow. don't think about that part. Yeah. Yikes. That's, that's unpleasant to think about, but it does give us an opportunity because, as we know, uh, there, everything is nostalgia now, but also... Uh, all Christian media is basically taking a version of something that's already exists and making a, a worse knockoff of it. Yes. So the, <laughs> the current television show is, is titled that 90s show. Cause there's no reason to mess with the formula. And that got us thinking of an alternate, uh, we can pitch to pure flicks or Freeform or whatever that 90s youth group. Oh, yeah. Gosh. And gentlemen, oh, where do we begin? <laughs> as people who were there, I open the floor to you to make this pitch. Oh man! Oh gosh! I mean, th- those were those were amazing times, man. Were they? You, you had your DC talk. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this, Matt: What will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? Oh, That's gosh. got to be the opening theme song. Listen, I can't imagine the royalties would be that much. When you're balancing all the tumultuous hormones and drama of of adolescence with getting the timing right in your puppet ministry technique. Yeah, 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 that's that's really, really something. I'll also add this. Um (laughs) when you Leave high school, and you skateboard around the town, and you smoke a lot of cigarettes, and then you have to be back at church for all the youth group activities on a Wednesday evening on time, and you make sure that you brought enough change of clothes in the backpack to mask the cigarette smoke in the clothes so that when you show up for discipleship before the potluck on Wednesday evening... You have successfully masked the cigarette smoke. You're really pulling it off at that point. <laughs> so you're picturing kind of a a, a ticking clock, twenty four esque episode where it's the race to get 
to the pre-potluck uh, discipleship meeting. But right before he, the main character is about to go in, he realizes that he has not changed his jacket, which yeah. still smells like smoke. And there's like a last minute kind of Ocean's Eleven swap. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Not yeah. only that, but you've got a '90s haircut, which is just more hair, man. It's just more <laughs> hair. There's which, so many which traps more to... smoke. That's right. <laughs> it's so swoopy. <laughs> I also think you know a, a church-based show set in any decade uh, would. Uh, there's going to be a lot of. Uh, I feel like there'll be a lot of potluck subplots. Oh yeah. <laughs> like the ma- I don't. I don't want us to write her into a Marge thing, or she's at least. Interesting character in the show in some ways, but I feel like a good 60% of the mom subplots are going to be potluck based. Yeah, that's definitely true. That's Bringing the true. same I mean, thing as someone she knows that I make banana pudding, but she made banana pudding and everyone agrees it's not as good, the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Lots, lots of, lots of wood paneling on the walls of most of the scenes. Definitely. Definitely. Um, one of the things I would like to bring up, which is definitely going to be a part of the '90s youth group uh, episodes, is a real life scenario from from one of my best friends who uh, grew up in a missionary kid boarding school in the Black Forest in Germany. And that's right, things in Germany are really named like that. Yeah, <laughs> yes. as horrifyingly as possible. Yes, and, come children um, to the Black Forest. <laughs> Well, in in this missionary kid boarding school, they were obviously not allowed to listen to music from secular music groups. Of course. Therefore, my dear friend um, took a cassette tape from the band Petra, the Christian mm. band Petra. I don't know if you know, but Petra means rockly. Oh, how about that? They he pulled so apart. it's named ironically. <laughs> <laughs> pulled apart the physical uh, outside of the cassette. What? Removed the spool. Dude. And then put in the spool from the Pearl Jam 10 album, reclosed the, the plastic cassette. And that way, when it was pulled out of your Walkman by a teacher, what are you listening to as you were listening to Jeremy Spoken class today? While you were listening to that, they pull out the tape from your Walkman and see Petra. Yeah, that is, that is the kind of visionary leadership this world needs. <laughs> and also yes. a potent parable about how legalism only breeds creativity. Yes. Well, yes, that's definitely true. That's definitely true. I just, I can't stop my brain from things that actually happened, which is... No, do it. Hit it. I was, we were in a kind of a, a Christmas time caroling, visiting the invalid type situation at the, the church that I grew up in. This is a real life scenario. I'm in the back of the, of the you know, the, the van with the youth group, and my friend Nathan... Slides me the uh, the Walkman headphones and says, "You got to check this out." Literally, we're going house to house from the invalids, uh, you know, singing Christmas carols. So I need I need you to keep that in mind. Okay. And he says, "You got to check this out." I've never heard this before. What is this? He says, "This is NWA." <laughs> and this led to <laughs> NWA, which stands for Now We Advent. It is hey, Christmas music. <laughs> Which I was is trying to come up with one. listening to it. Very much not what that stands for. <laughs> but in any case, listening to Easy E 
singing Ice Cube's lyrics whilst on our uh, on our rounds visiting the invalid. That really is kind of a, a really good example of what '90s youth group was all about. <laughs> if you were there. <laughs> You know, I'm on record as saying there's many, many things that I appreciate about Easy E, none of which I can divulge on the air. But sure. I will certainly agree with his self assessment. He kicks butt, which is an actual line from an actual NWA song that he delivered with no self sense of irony. I love it. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think Easy was uh, capable of irony. <laughs> Well, I do like an entire... Uh, Unlike sk- Michael W. Smith. Oh, yeah. yes. I do like an entire uh, kind of running joke of the kids in that 90s youth group trying to come up with lies for what NWA stands for when their parents ask, when they find the okay. cassette. Yes, Or the yes. single, as was the style yeah. at the time. I had a lot of singles. There's also just like the... <laughs> There, there's just these things that are coming into my into my brain space, Matt, as you're talking about 90s youth group. Like, there's just certain set pieces that you would need if you were filming the show. Like, like, and and Jed is going to love this so much. Just like, like really unathletic kids playing ping pong with Carmen posters in the background. The champion. Oh, yes, Carmen. That's rough. Matt, perhaps, you know, with with all of your ability to quote Shakespeare from memory and whatnot, you might not have had time to appreciate the um, thespian masterpiece that was Carmen's the champion. OK, I mean, I would put forth that no one had the time to enjoy it. <laughs> Did people endure it? Were they exposed to it? Were they any other number of things that you might say about nuclear waste? Sure. I'm not sure about enjoy. For those who may be unfamiliar, please do describe. Okay, let me, let me uh, pull this up because I really want to do this justice. We'll, we'll do um, a, a little um, light lyric read because... You're going to otherwise think that I'm making this up, and I I assure you I am not. Let's see. (laughs) Well, while Jed's doing that, Lee, give us us the background on Carmen. Yeah, Carmen is a – how would you say this? He was kind of like the Christian world's meatloaf. Yeah, that's fair. Would you say that just like like, like, – Anthem, power, ballad, like gigantic set pieces in the concerts, just like everything over the top rock, but like cheesy in a way that you cannot even imagine kind of a gigantic, crazy scale concert music experience. And for uh, those of you who don't know the visual, he looks like... Every background actor in the Sopranos or some other yes. mob, like comical mob movie. No, Godfather three. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, three. Yep. Definitely. Definitely three. According to Wikipedia, he's under his stage name, Carmen. He was an American contemporary Christian music singer, dancer, songwriter, television host, life coach, rapper, and evangelist. Yeah. Rapper. Carmen had them bars. <laughs> yeah, I assure you he did not. <laughs> yeah, I I I 
I'll give you just one stanza here. So the champion to set the stage is basically uh, similar to like, this is true. Like, so C.S. Lewis, the whole thing with the, the white witch and Aslan, the lion and Aslan dies. It's a metaphor. Okay. This is basically that, but imagining literally a cosmic boxing match between Jesus and the devil. Um, and it's called the champion. Is it a spiritual sequel to the devil went down to Georgia in some ways? Essentially. Okay. If you, t- if you took all of the soul and panache away, then you would get very, very wow. close. <laughs> Less soul than Charlie Daniels is, is quite a statement. Less beard too. All right. I, I, you know what I'm, I'm going to do? Um, I'm just going to give us the opening stanza in the vast expanse of a timeless place where silence ruled the outer space. Ominously towering it stood the symbol of a spirit war between the one named lucifer and the morning star the ultimate of good okay that's um oh you want more do you that's not what i said (laughs) enveloped by a trillion planets clean as lightning and hard as granite a cosmic coliseum would host the end of the war between the Lord of Sin and Death and the omnipotent creator of man's first breath, who will decide who forever will be the champion. He uh he really got his money's out of money out of his rhyming dictionary, didn't he? <laughs> it's really something. I mean, You're I'm welcome. just thinking of like every. I didn't thank you. Know, you. <laughs> every every retreat, and I'm not making this up. That we took to Camp Bayoka, which stands for Baptist Youth Camp. Oh, Bayoka, Baptist Youth Camp. But that, that's not what you want. Hey, uh, white people, don't don't try to make your name your camp something that sounds vaguely. Uh, Native, that's weird. Yeah. Don't do that. It's tough, man. I mean, it's it's just one of these deals where I can't I can't, I can't stop smiling just because 90s that 90s youth group is just such a fertile ground of absolute pain. It's it's rich terrain. The, the one speaking of Carmen that I'm really intrigued by is the episode that's all about the drama behind the liturgical drama that they're going to put on for youth <laughs> Sunday because oh liturgical yes. drama was huge then, man. And yeah. in a lot of churches, like maybe once a month or once a quarter, they had youth Sunday where the youth are going to do a lot of the stuff in the service. Right, 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 right. So you got to put on your liturgical drama, man. But it's oh. like, you know, who gets which roles and it's all of the, you know, the tension and everything. It's great. It's tremendous. Jed, did you guys ever watch the, the film that was made in kind of the mid nineties about the rapture. This is before the LaHaye Jenkins novels came out. Is this rolling thunder? It, yes, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. This is before the left behind thing, Matt, if you know about the left behind oh, deal, I, I but they, do. they had us watch this movie about these people who woke up and they were, you know, they were not taken up in the rapture and it's just kind of a, I never knew the kind of deal. And of course, you know, it was just about, you know, carnal thoughts or whatever. That's what got you left behind. Yeah. It may have actually been a distant thunder. These are kind of, I'm trying to Google these. These are kind of rolling together. The main thing is be afraid. 
So if you well, could just that, that, well, that's some kind point. of thunder. Yes, there's thunder and God being mad at you. Those are the key things. Very biblical. Yes, quite. Being left behind and uh, being cast out for carnal thoughts. Two things that are in no way, shape, or form in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell you, I'm already a fan of that 90s youth group show. I Gosh. feel like it's going to have a a small but uh, fiercely uh, loyal and deeply traumatized fan base. <laughs> and how? Maybe we can offer some laughs. And some healing along the way. We need it. Grab a flannel, button up the flannel to cover the Nirvana shirt you're wearing because you know you're going to get yelled at. Yeah. And come on in and join that 90s youth group. Check out my God's Gym t shirt. <laughs> His pain, <laughs> your gain. Oh, I think gosh, Jed. the place we need, to, we need to end this is, and that's right <laughs> on that, is what are the shots in the montage of the opening credits? Those oh. are in there. I'm going to demand that the Christian bookstore uh, secular music conversion chart be in there. Yes, yes, wow. like Definitely. maybe the whole thing, maybe the whole opening is just like a camera panning around the Christian bookstore. Yes, yeah. yes, zooming in on the the testaments. Yeah, oh. <laughs> you've got to have the shot of the clown ministry. You got to make sure they have their time to shine. Oh gosh. Or as we like to call it, the Southern Baptist Convention. hey Oh! <laughs> I'm grabbing my necktie and pulling it right now. You can't see it, but I'm <laughs> doing it. Thank you, thank you. I will say this, Matt. The, the word nostalgia is actually a Greek word, and it means the pain of home. And that really strikes true. Yeah. As we, as we delve into all of this. The pain that is, of home, indeed. Dude, that is both funny and profound. Well done. Quite. It Quite. is. It works on three levels. It is funny. It is profound, and it is also the beginning of a talk that the Nat '90s youth group pastor would give. <laughs> and on that, on that, we declare emergency off. <laughs> full series order, almost certainly oh on. Gosh. Oh my gosh! It just occurred to me. Cut this later if you need to. Please. Hey guys, I know you've all been listening to a lot of interesting music lately, but today I want to tell you about someone else who had attitude. His name was Jesus of Nazareth. Wow. Oh, gosh. He also had a good day. It was the <laughs> Lord's day. <laughs> oh, didn't have to use my AK. That's right. Yeah, that was definitely worth going back for. That's outstanding. Um, we could do this for the next three hours. Never doubt good that fact. And very may well in non-recorded format, and it's going to get, the nine o'clock show gets a little blue. Let's put it that way. So for now, we're going to roll on into our first question. If you hang out with us all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways you can get in touch with us, or you can scroll down into your episode description and click the links you find there. First question comes in and says, I treated someone badly in the past. I apologized, and they accepted that apology. I know God forgives me. I know they forgave me. So why do I still feel terrible? And a very, a very cool question. We always appreciate the honesty. We always appreciate the openness. And Jed, where would we start off here? Well, I'm sorry for what you're dealing with, and I'm super glad that you wrote in. So here's something that I have heard multiple people say about themselves. I have certainly thought it about myself, and I wonder if it's not at least part of what you're dealing with, which is 
most of us don't want to think of ourselves as the kind of person who is capable of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whatever the sin is or the transgression or the bad thing or whatever, we really just don't like thinking of ourselves as that kind of person, the kind of person that could do that, that would do that, that is capable of that. And I think that that, that thought, that realization, like you are though, like you don't like to think of yourself that way, but you clearly are capable of it. So you, you are that kind of person. Like, I think that can really shake us, man. I think that that can really mess with our sense of identity and, and mess with how we think about our place in the world. And I would like to give you a couple thoughts. The goal of all, which is comfort. Um, I'm not looking for you to beat up on yourself. I think that's probably part of what's going on here and, and kind of part of the pain you're experiencing. So I'm going to say some stuff that might sound like I'm almost piling on. I'm not. And the point of it is actually comfort. So hang with me for a second. The first thing to know is it's true for me and it's been true for every person I've ever met. You may be the exception, but probably not. We all have a temptation threshold. We all have a point where things get bad enough, they get hard enough, they get whatever enough, and all of a sudden we're considering things that we wouldn't otherwise consider. We hmm. all have a threshold of like, okay, maybe I need to do something. Let's do kind of a funny, and funny is the wrong word, a, a almost silly thought experiment for a second. If somebody came up to you, um, you're out walking your dog, right? And somebody came to you and like, I will give you $5 if you will kick your dog right now. You would say no. You'd probably call them a name. You'd be offended at the uh, idea. Now, Jed, do you mean you would call that person a name or you would call the dog a name and be like, is that worth two bucks? A little of both. A okay. little of both. Negotiating is always good. I, that's It's the heart of commerce, which drives everything. <laughs> Market be praised. Okay, so um, if they offered you five, you'd be offended. If they offered you 500, there's some part of you that would pause for a moment and think about that. If that person showed you a briefcase with $500,000 in it, said, all, all you right. got to do is kick your dog, bro. Just kick him one time. Doesn't have to be hard. Just give him a little kick. Taxes are already paid on this cash. I'll hand it to you. You're done. You would think about it. it the point of this is there's a level of temptation at which you would consider things that you wouldn't otherwise consider. And that's true for all of us. It's, it's true in a million kinds of different ways. That doesn't make you a bad person, but it does make you human. It does make you susceptible to temptation. It does make you capable under the right circumstances of doing things that you will later regret. And that's really the second thing that I want to encourage you to, to think about about yourself is I think you're wondering, am I a bad, am I a bad person? I think you're wondering am I that kind of person? I don't, I don't think you're any of those things, but what I think you are is a person who is capable of actions that you will later regret. Hmm. And if we can think about it from that light, all of a sudden we're thinking about the future, which is good. Um, it is good to, to think about the future and to plan ahead. And rather than saying, well, I want to, you know, be an upstanding moral person. Cause that's, that's a different consideration. If we said, I want to make decisions that I feel good about a week later and a month later and a year later, I, I want to be the kind of person that, that consistently does that. That actually gets us into a very different arena of thought and consideration and planning. If you want to make decisions consistently that you feel good about in your life, in your relational life, in your professional life, that's going to take some planning. 
Uh, that's going to take thinking things through. That's going to take being aware of your areas of weakness. That's going to take being aware of when you are at the end of your rope and you just don't have any more margin on things. It's going to take some planning and some self-awareness. But again, the the good news is that just as bad outcomes can be a product of your environment, good outcomes can too. Um, what I'm saying is it's not so much you're a bad person, but you get the wrong setting going. It can bring bad stuff out of you. So if you get the right setting going in your life, it can bring good stuff out of you. That can actually work to your advantage. And that's the thing that I want to encourage you to look at is less the guilt and the shame and I'm a bad person and more my mindset and my environment and what I'm going through influences me a lot. And therefore, I can try and promote an environment and a mindset and a state that helps me make decisions that I feel good about. Well, I think that's such a strong place to start that off. And Lee, I'd love to get you to pick us up there because I think tying in exactly with what Jed is saying is we want to not think of ourselves as someone who would do that thing. But then there's this other Christian layer on it where we want to think if we really believed what we profess to believe, we wouldn't do those things. So not only does this make us question something about us, maybe it makes us question something about our our very faith, right? Yeah, I think that... There's this weird deal where we we believe like the thing that we believe in our faith is that we are people who have grace available to us and we need grace. The problem is we like to believe that about everybody else. That's a very comforting thing and it's a very kind thing. We'd like to not believe that about ourselves. We'd like to somehow believe that we're exceptional. This goes right along with what Jeb was talking about. And the the troubling thing is, the difficult thing is, and everybody that's honest faces it at some point, is we're not actually exceptional. We all actually need our faith. The, the, the faith that says, I actually need grace. Grace is a, it's a word that gets thrown around a lot. It's, it's worth exploring for a second. Grace, in, in the original language that the New Testament is, was written in, the the word is very closely related to the english word charity and what we have is we have a religion that's completely based upon charity that somebody who didn't have to has given us charity because otherwise we would not be in good stead now that is a very comforting thing and it's a very cool thing and it's a very freeing thing for us to talk about about other people but for us to actually, really, truly, totally believe it about ourselves, it rely it 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 makes us deal with a certain amount of humility that, like, I actually needed charity. I didn't have what it took. I had to I had to ask for and I had to receive a whole lot of charity. Um, we're not okay on our own, and that's a hard thing to face. Um, like one of the deals that that is it's it's this thing that like if you can bear to get over it if you can bear to face it to like look in the mirror at yourself and say i actually needed a whole lot of kindness i actually needed a whole lot of charity on my own i couldn't make it if you can if you can bear that humility if you can deal with it what you have on the other side of that is an unbelievable relaxation and freedom and just openness of country it's like i just have this place i get to roam in which is i am free i am forgiven 
I am taken care of, I'm provided for, I'm wanted here, all of that stuff. But the, the buy-in is huge because the, like, the, the thing that you've got to, the thing, thing that you've got to do to receive that is you have to swallow down that humility of, I needed charity. This person that I offended, they have forgiven me. God has forgiven me. Why haven't I forgiven myself? Because I don't want to bear the idea that I'm a person who needed to be forgiven. It's exactly where Jed started out. And that's the thing that's troubling for us. It's just, it's just a dissonant thought that like in some moments, in some situations, I was the bad guy. And if I can deal with the humility of that, the humiliation of that, honestly, then I can receive all of the charity. And that, like, once I'm willing to do that, the, the, the landscape on the other side of that is so awesome of like, you are forgiven. You are clean. It is over. We don't have to bring it up again. We don't have to talk about it. You're not in trouble. And that's the whole deal. I think that most of us operate in this world of, I have to do everything right all the time so that I don't get in trouble. So that when we actually face the idea that we were in trouble, we just can't get past it. But if you can get to the other side of what grace means, which is, I have received charity, and now, factually, legally, completely and eternally, I'm not in trouble. If you can bear that humility, then you get to enter into the freedom of the charity that you receive, which is God and I, we're good. We're good. And what that allows me to be in other relationships is to the degree to which they forgive me, we're good as well. And that's an awesome and a freeing and a sweet thing. It just has this buy-in at the front end, which is the humility of, yeah, I didn't do that well. Yeah, I screwed up. Yeah, I completely was faithless in this moment or whatever that thing is, whatever that situation is. If you can pay the, that front end cost of the humility, you get to enter into this world of complete and total charity, which is an awesome place to be. And that's the heartbeat of our faith. That's absolutely right. And one thing I'd like to add on the end of this here is we, we've, we've talked a lot previously in the show about how uh, the kind of doctrine of it's there's 12 step thing of making amends when it will cause the other person no further harm. And we've talked about that. We've talked about, um, you know, people who you may not talk, you talk to anymore or they passed away or they moved away or whatever it is and people you can't actually get forgiveness from and how it's important to be able to still work through your own process and yourself and your own process with God, even without that. The thing that, about that that applies here is the other person forgiving you is kind of irrelevant even when they do. Like it's relevant to the relationship you have with them for sure, but that's not some kind of magic bullet. And some people put so much effort into getting to that. Um, You have to forgive me. Oh, if I just forgive me, if I could just explain myself. And what I think what you've discovered is that that's not the main thing making you feel bad. An external issue is not the main thing driving your emotions about this, which is these guys have pointed out is perfectly fine, perfectly natural. And they gave you a lot of good tips to, to actually work on what is 
eating away at you and probably has a lot more to do with self-perception and stuff like that. The other thing that I was thinking about this, Matt, is that I think one of the things that troubles us about this kind of thinking is just all of the the stories that we consume, mm. all of the the movies and the a books, lot of happy endings. and yeah, it's just and the, and by the way, the happy endings come to the people who grinded it out the whole time, and who who were amazing the whole time, and who you know they beat the odds and they you know they 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 sh- they showed the haters and th- that's the storyline right is like i like nobody believed in me and i was amazing the whole time and so i become this hero or this heroine or whatever and it's a very troubling thing for us to face the reality of like sometimes i just really get it wrong or sometimes i really really hurt someone and that's the reality of the world And that's what's so good about the message of the good news of Jesus is like, there actually is nobody who like, they, they grinded it out the whole time perfectly faithfully and they silenced all the haters and they became the champion or whatever. That's not a real thing. Those are fictional stories. The truth is, is that everybody has moments of faithlessness. And so we have a savior. And so when we like, I think I I just bring that up to say, like, I think that so many of the stories that we're exposed to keep us from the freedom and the goodness of the the good news that we have. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And not only the fictional stories, but kind of we've talked about a lot, the condensing of stories and complex things for things like social media posts, things like sermons, things like books. Um, that are even ostensibly nonfiction does a lot of picking and choosing on which of those stories we're highlighting does a right. lot of cutting out the, the, uh, the rockiness and the, the uncertainty of those things. And I really like what Lee was saying there, because I think one of the things that I cling to and appreciate about my faith as I mature in it is it has gone from having some, something to say to the messy moments to my faith pretty much only exists in the messy moments. There's like four things I'm sure of and everything else yeah. is just the, these shades of gray and this hue. everything kind of ends in a, but I don't know. Like, I, here's what I'm doing, but I, and I think this, but I, I'm glad, you know, my faith is based on the fact that there is someone who knows it. Cause it's not me. And as Leah is saying, you know, th- this is not a, a script we follow so that we can be the, the all conquering champion. If you want to know, who the champion is, then you'll have to listen to the entirety of a song by Carmen. Yeah. Is that really a price you're willing to pay? Wow. Shouldn't be. It really shouldn't. And on that, we'll move on to our next question. It comes in and says, what do you make of the recent spate? Excellent use of the word spate question. Oh, yeah. Of school boards, pulling books. It feels really bad to me, but I guess parents also have a right to, to have a say. And another uh, cool question. And Jed, where do we kick off here? Well, weirdly, let's pick back up with the ideas of the stories that we buy into and the stories we believe and whatnot. Oh, I was worried he was going to say, let's pick back up with Carmen. No. (laughs) I mean, we could do that, too. (laughs) So, like, anthropologically, right, all cultures use myths to explain who they are and how they got here. That's that's pretty much a a universality of of the human experience. It's like an example of one I just happen to think is neat is kind of the, the very, very 
first people that, you know, occupied the Caucasus Mountains in, in Russia and so this would include like modern day Chechnya. Um, they have this really cool story that they tell where the gods came to them and said, you may have a choice between fame or comfort and you must decide as a people, which do you want? And the, the, the cry of this was a people called the Narts and the cry of the Narts was let our fame be great. And the idea was that they they wanted to have a, a more difficult but a glorious life rather than a life that was kind of comfortable, um, but nobody really knew who they were. And so this is a story that they're telling to explain that, you know, in our culture, we we care about the idea of glory more than comfort. So all cultures have myths and stories that they tell to explain who they are and how they got here. One of the things that's interesting about America is we do that, too. But our history is short enough that you can go back in time and verify whether the stories we're telling are true or not. And here's where we start to get into a bit of a problem. There's two, at least for kind of like white Christian America, there's two myths that we tell ourselves a lot that are demonstrably not true. And I think they start to get to the heart of what you're looking for. The first myth is that America is a Christian nation. It's not. It never has been. There has never been a time where we have in any way been a Christian nation, not even a little bit. Well, Jed, that's only according to people like John Adams and James Madison, writing in official capacity as president of the United States. And what do they know? (laughs) What (laughs) indeed? So that's that's kind of, you know, myth number one is that we're a Christian nation, which we're not. We never have been. And the second one, um, the second big myth, again, at least in kind of, you know, white Christian circles in America is that we've pretty much always been the good guys. Mm. And um, I hate to have to be the bearer of bad news, but we oh. have a super, super checkered history. It's had moments where it was really horrific. And, and, and by moments, I mean centuries. To put it in context, I believe the first African slave arrived in this continent in 1619. Yep. And um, the Civil War was in the early 1860s. That's 250 years that we openly allowed slavery to incur in our nation. It's a yeah. quarter of a millennium that that was going on, and a sufficiently high number of people were totally cool with it. So the idea that we are basically the good guys, that's just not true, man. That's not to say America has never done good things. We, we have, but the idea that we have been the moral vanguard during our history, that's just not true. And the reason why I'm going through all that is if you can convince people that we are a Christian nation and that we basically do what's right, if you can convince people of that, then you can get them to go along with a lot of kind of political and monetary stuff that they're probably not going to go along with otherwise. Um, If we are a country with a very checkered history who has made a lot of mistakes, then Maybe we need to be more critical about the decisions that we make. But if we're a Christian nation, it's basically the good guys, then we it's right just because we do it. And I think that that's a big part of of what's going on here. So you're asking and to be clear, this is just my opinion, but you're asking, you know, what do I make of of the recent spate, which, again, is a great word. Um, I think it is in many ways a contest between creation myths about our country that are fundamentally false Mm. and dealing with the reality of who we are and who we have been. And there are a lot of people, I mean, in the spirit of that nineties youth group, I was raised, I imagine it was raised to believe that we are a Christian nation and have always been the good guys. 
And there are a lot of people who are literally financially invested in wanting to make sure that that myth can continue Yeah. Um, because they make a lot of money off of it, like a lot of money. One more bonus point, just something for you to think about. If you're afraid of knowledge, if you're afraid of people thinking for themselves, there's a reason for that. Um, it, mm. And it's basically never, ever a good reason. Unexamined belief is not faith. Mm. If I tell you something and you're just like, okay, that's not faith. That's just acquiescence. James chapter one actually specifically says it is the testing of your faith that develops perseverance. Amen. A, a faith that has never been tested is not exactly faith. A belief that has never been examined is not exactly a belief. And so a lot of the stuff, the people who are kind of pro book burning, I think part of what they're trying to tell you is we want to protect uh, the faith of our children. But the thing is, you're not protecting their faith. You're protecting your own creation myths that are demonstrably false. True faith can withstand testing and, in fact, must withstand testing in order to be real faith. Yeah. Christians, actual followers of Jesus Christ, don't need to be afraid of the truth, no matter where that truth is found. Uh, we, we serve a God who can handle the facts of the situation, whatever they happen to be. A wonderful, wonderful place to start that yep. off. And Lee, uh, I think you have, uh, as the only parent on the show and someone who works a lot with, uh, with youth <laughs> in general, uh, what is your perspective on all this? And as someone who lives in the great state of Tennessee, uh, which is uh, someone who's left there, has really been covering itself in glory lately. Thanks for that, guys. I'm going to start telling people I'm from northern Alabama. <laughs> far northern Alabama. <laughs> wow, what a state of affairs. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I currently am sitting about an hour and a half away from the county where this this uh, book banning happened. But let me just start here and say, first of all, everything Jed said, I completely, completely give a gigantic here here to all of that. Um, he's exactly right. I mean, the the ab, the the ludicrous myths that we tell that 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 we tell that. Our children have been told all that stuff. It's it's insane. But let's talk about this. It's 2022. Banning a book is adorable. <laughs> it's adorable. They have phones. All of them. The instant you banned that book, you made it the most popular book on the planet Earth. And by the way, everybody can just get access to it immediately. So I think that is amazing. because. That, and, and this just, to me, it's just an example of the, the flailing of this kind of, I'm going to use a loaded word here, Matt. You can take it out if you need to. The, the flailing of fascism, which technically fascism is just massive control. Um, it's just, we're just going to control everything. We're going to control what you look at. We're going to control what you're exposed to. We're going to control everything. Um, the the flailing of this level of control, all you did was make it the most popular search ever. Yeah. You yeah. made it an endless bestseller. Like the instant that I saw the tweet, I went to Amazon and it was sold out. I mean, it's amazing how much you made that book sell. The, and and that is a fascinating thing. Not only that, but whoever was holding a copy instantaneously started taking pictures of it and uploading it to the internet. I actually, 
um, as a as a person who grew up in this the the state of Tennessee, I bought that book in the Scholastic Book Fair when I was in the eighth grade. Um, my parents would give me money for the book fair every year, and when that book when that graphic novel came out in the book fair, I bought it, and I bought the second volume the next year, and I remember reading it. And um, as soon as I saw the tweet, you better believe that I got on the list to buy a copy for my son. And he's going to get it handed to him, and he's going to read it immediately. The kid eats graphic novels, whichever ones you put in front of his face. And you just made it the most popular one ever. Look, book banning has never been on the right side of history. Everybody knows this. Everybody knows this. Um, as, a, as a parent of adolescence, as a parent of my, my oldest child is 18 years old, I do not expect that I have the ability to make my 18-year-old see the world exactly the way that I see it. Here's my sincere hope for her. My sincere hope for her is that being exposed to the world, that she forms her own opinions, and as a believer in Jesus, my hope is that the Spirit of the Lord works in her life to draw her to himself in his own time, in his own way. I pray for that. I speak to that when I'm given the opportunity. Um, I hope that she experiences the world and has an honest analysis of the things that she experiences. The things that I tell her, I tell her, look, whatever you go through, whatever happens, my hope for you is that you will have the courage to be honest with yourself about what you experienced. And that you will then form your opinion. That is the great hope of a parent, is that my child would form their opinion based on the, the courage of honesty through being exposed to what the, what the world really is. And my hope as a believer in Jesus is that the Spirit of the Lord will do things that, that only the Spirit of the Lord can do to draw her to himself. This, what you're seeing in the flailing of this kind of control and this ridiculous, ridiculous thing is it's, well, one, it's about racism. It's about silencing oppressed voices. It's a, it's honestly about elevating whiteness. It's ridiculous. And what's really, really, really cool is, and I was saying this to these fellows this past week, is we are seeing right now in the state of Tennessee, l- groups of middle school kids led by middle school kids are forming book clubs and all they're reading are books that have been banned by governments. And I'm like, rock on kids. That's what I'm talking about. Experience the world, have the courage to be honest, and may the spirit of the Lord do an awesome thing to amplify the voices of the oppressed. I think that's all amazing stuff and absolutely right. I would, I would as we close out here, I would tie these two points together. Because, uh, you know, Lee used a, used the F word. No, the other one. No, the other one. I'm talking about fascism there. And uh, if you happen to share some beliefs with some people and you get really, really um, offended at the label fascist when it's used on them, that's something to think about. Yeah. But I would also take it back to uh, Jed's comments and a very, very good observation about uh, kind of national national myths. 
because it is certainly something that is not only in the distant past and it's something that goes on continuously. Um, you know, historians talk about how uh, nations are constantly telling themselves and redefining their national myth. Um, you know, a good example uh, from super recent history is, you know, the play Hamilton is a refining of the American national myth. It is yeah. this idea that it's, it's, it's a common uh, idea of the national myth, but this idea that this uh, country was founded by the absolute brightest minds who had the absolute best intentions. And it was through this uh, contest of ideas and intellects that this amazing uh, thing grew up out of it. Now, of course, you have to skip over some things like the fact that uh, the character of Hamilton is like a passionate abolitionist. The real dude eh, invested in some things that definitely made a lot of money off slaves. And there was that whole deal of it. <laughs> um, so but, you know, it's it's dramatic. It is, it is a national myth. You know, there's the idea that, you know, all these guys are fighting for democracy, even though they're all the most educated, richest people that exist. Literally, George Washington, at the time he became president, was the richest man in the United States. Um, Hamilton in his writings referred to, uh, the idea of representative, like democ people getting to vote for something as the great beast that must be tamed, <laughs> um, which was, and that's not calling out Alexander Hamilton. That was a very, very common idea at the time. Uh, you know, sure. in the original framing of the constitution, you got to vote for your state legislature and your congressional representative. That was it. Senators were appointed by state legislatures. Presidential electors were appointed by state legislatures. That was it. As little voting as possible by the small number of people who could vote. But that fact doesn't mesh with our current iteration of a national myth that voting is, is very important. And, you know, it's, it's all about everyone has a voice and all that. And that goes through. Um, that goes through revisions and ideas. So to take that back to fascism, if you... Are uh, in if you are looking for to read a short book that will make you feel not that smart. That's how it made me feel. Is a, a Italian writer named Umberto Eco who wrote a it's basically a pamphlet called Ur Fascism. And this guy grew up in uh, the twenties in Italy, and that's fascism. Like mm -hmm. in a, in a definitional way, that's kind of the only thing that's fascism, and everything else is only uh, you know echoes of it and Mick fascism. Yes, yeah, sparkling authoritarianism, I've seen it referred to online. It's only fashion because it comes from uh, early 20th century Western Europe. But his first, he breaks down 14 points of what makes something, in his mind, fascistic. And the first one is the cult of tradition. One only has to look at the syllabus of every fascist movement to find the major traditionalist thinkers. The Nazi gnosis, gnosis was nourished by traditional, synchristic, occult elements. Here is why... That type of thinking that leads to book burning, that leads to these type of movements, is inherently and definitionally incompatible with Christianity, because Christianity is not rooted in myth. Mm. It's rooted in truth. Mythic creation is the, uh, the desire to make something be what you want it to be and then retrofit a narrative that makes that the right thing. Yeah. That is entirely antithetical to Christianity. It goes back to what we were saying in the first question, and Lee made some great points, that the heart of the gospel is looking at all the messed up stuff that you've done and will do, and it is in you to do, and facing down that reality and the reality of being loved in the face of that anyway. 
the idea that because it is they look like you or have some political or uh, cultural carryover with you that a group of people couldn't have done something terrible or we shouldn't think about the terrible things they did because I'm betting that the none of these school boards that are kicking out mouse are you know tearing up their copies of Hotel Rwanda uh white people doing a genocide but they're really uncomfortable with that part and here's the thing it super happened yeah you know and to close this out this is just kind of a a representative part of this i i believe and i read the the actual decision or whatever from the McMinn County School Board and they said the things they pointed out that made the uh, graphic novel it's called mouse if you want to look it up by the way m a u s um unacceptable for middle school age kids was that it had swearing and nudity. Now keep in mind that's mouse nudity because these are mice in the graphic novel. Yeah. And doesn't actually show any of the, uh, the bits that would make it such. Here's the thing, even taking that at face value, and that's totally not why they wanted to get it pulled. We all know that even taking that at face value, that's the part that offended you about this book set in concentration camps. (laughs) Was the naughty words? Are you outside of your, don't admit that out loud. If it were to be true, that's insane. But uh, I'm going to guess that there were some naughty words said, and there were some terrible things done, but the truth and the, the courage and the freedom that comes with faith, the, the Christian faith should be looking at things like that and not cowering from them knowing that bad things happen, people do bad things, people have the ability, people who look and sound and think like you Mm. have the ability to do terrible, inhuman things. That is not only compatible with Christianity, that's the heart of it right there. And to anything that is attempting to hide that or shrink from that is not only not going to work, to Lee's point, it is an assault on the fundamentals and the foundations of a healthy Christian faith. You're here. And uh, if anybody w- would disagree with that, they're wrong. Don't email me. Keep it to yourself. <laughs> we move on to our final question. It comes in and says, I realize that a lot of people seem to put effort into being unhappy. A lot of carryover between them and the book burning crowd. It turns yep. out maybe we'll examine that. Searching for things out, out things to be angry, etc. Why do people do that? And how do I make sure I don't do that? And another excellent question. And uh, we're catching on to a theme I feel here. And Jed, where do we start off? Well, I'm about to give you advice that I would hate if someone gave me. So let's do some <laughs> prefacing together. I, I'm going to say those horrible, horrible, horrible words that happiness is a choice. But before I, I really boo. dig into them, I agree. That guy is a jerk. I hate that I guy. I choose booing. Yeah, <laughs> booing is also a choice. Booing okay, is a cho- <laughs> <laughs> so before we we get into the happiness being a choice, let's note two things. One, it's not an easy thing. Second, super super important. If you are going through like extreme circumstances in your life, um, you can define what extreme circumstances is. But if you're going through some heavy stuff in your life, uh, happiness being a choice becomes a little bit more iffy. If you've got health stuff that's going on in your life, if you've got mental health stuff going on in your life, 
the whole happiness being a choice thing can be a little bit iffy. If you're going through really heavy stuff and you're not sure what to do with it, we would love to help get you connected with resources that would work for you. Matt, what's the best way for them to reach out to us on that? Say that podcast at gmail.com. Say that podcast at gmail.com. So if that's where you're at, reach out. We want to help you get connected with stuff that can help get your situation squared away. For the rest of us who still don't want to hear it, happiness is largely a choice. I wish that weren't true because that's not good news. I mean, it is like it's super good news, but it's not the news I want to hear. Right. The good unwelcome news. (laughs) That would be a great book title. Okay. So the thing about happiness being largely a choice is that it, it kind of implies that happiness is also largely a collection of skills and intentional attitudes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, man. So let's, let's look at a couple examples. These are pretty straightforward, right? Choosing a life where you regularly express gratitude, that's going to lead to more happiness. There, there's not really any way around that. It's going to lead to more satisfaction. It's going to lead to more contentment. Um, how you go about expressing gratitude, whether that's in a journal or it's, you write poems or you know whatever, you, you do you. But a life where you regularly, as a course of habit, express gratitude you will almost certainly have a happier life if you do that. Um, That's not co-equal with saying that you will wake up every morning being ecstatically thrilled with your situation in life, but you will have a happier life than if you do not practice gratitude. Similarly, in the spirit of happiness being largely a collection of skills and intentional attitudes, um, focusing on the get-tos in your life is part of choosing happiness. Like, so there's another, there's a super great quote from uh, G.K. Chesterton where he says that an adventure is an inconvenience rightly considered. And an inconvenience is usually an adventure wrongly considered. Much of life is about the way we choose to frame it. Um, In any given week, to, you know, tell the truth about myself, I can't tell you how many things are get-tos, and I could view as an adventure where I'm strongly tempted to view this thing as nothing but a pain in the butt. Um, And at least in my experience, maybe your mileage will vary, but at least in my experience, if I lean into the, no, it's a pain in the butt, I will be less happy in that moment than if I lean into the, this is a get-to, it's an adventure, there's a cool element to this. I I will be happier if if I lean in that direction. Again, I want to be clear, we're not talking about you wake up and you are simply filled with happiness all day, every day. And all you got to do is follow our five-step plan to get there. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about leaning more in the direction of more happiness in your life. But you asked a really great question, which is why do people make themselves angry? Like why, why would you do that? Cause it doesn't seem like a, a thing to do. Okay. I think it's not the only factor, but I think it's a huge part of it. People like to do the things they're good at. Like we all do. We all like to do the things that we are good at and we feel comfortable doing. And most people are far more good at and far more skilled at and far more experienced in getting angry than being happy. Mm. Being happy for most of us is not something that we're terribly good at. It's not something we have a lot of experience in, which is why those two things go together. We don't have a lot of experience. We're not very good at it. And critically, and this one I really want you to think about, when you were growing up, did your family make you feel like it wasn't safe to be happy? 
Did your family make you feel like if you were happy, it was like blood in the water with sharks? Did your family make you feel like if you were happy, you were setting yourself up for someone to come along and knock you back down to earth with the rest of us? I think for a lot of us, our situations from our early lives tell us that it's deeply, deeply unsafe to be happy. And therefore, given that it's unsafe and you're not good at it, and it's uh, not something that you are know much about, just be angry. It's much safer. You're much better at it. It's much easier. Does it make your life worse and the lives of everyone around you? Well, yes, technically. <laughs> but at least for now, the comfort level is much higher. It's much more comfortable to be angry all the time. Here's the thing I want to encourage you to do. Again, if you're going through extreme situations, if you're dealing with, with crises in your life, we, we need to deal with those. And again, please reach out. But If it's just, man, I'm trying to figure out how to be less angry and more happy, I want to encourage you, A, you can do that. You can get to a place where you have more happiness and you have a bit less anger. That is a doable thing that you can do. Second thing is it's going to be a lot of little things. It is in many ways a collection of skills and intentional attitudes. You can develop skills. You can cultivate attitudes. You can choose to do that. Um, A good therapist, a good counselor could be a really, really great part of figuring out what would be most effective in your life. But I just, I want to land on you knowing and hearing me tell you, you can do it. You can get better at being happy and make getting angry less of your default choice. Mm. Uh, That's a a fantastic place to start that off. And Lee, where do we go from there? I I love everything that Jed's said on this. I think this is a fantastic question. I think you're, you're asking something that not very many people ask. And it just... And because of that, it leads us into this really, really cool discussion. Why would people choose to be angry? My immediate response on that is that rage is the cheapest gas you can buy Yeah. Yep. to, to yep. power the car. Um, I, and I say that as a person who has literally, the entire time I've driven an automobile in my life, I've always bought the cheapest gas. I have no idea what that more expensive gas does in an engine. I, I, I'm sure that it, it does all kinds of magical things. I, I'm sure that it, it, it coats the engine with things that prolong the life of the, the different pieces, the constituent parts of that engine, that it works more efficiently, that it, it, you, you, know, you, you get better performance out of the constituent parts of that engine and just a better car overall. And if you constantly put that higher quality gas in there, it would just be a better machine altogether. I'm never going to buy it because I'm just, I just don't have that kind of money. And I think that that's the way that people deal with their attitudes. Jed said a really important thing, which is that, you know, he... He showed us some nuance in the the hackneyed phrase, happiness is a choice, by saying that happiness is a collection of skills and attitudes. That is a really helpful way to break down that really awful phrase, happiness is a choice. Um, skills and attitudes, well, I, I just don't have that kind of money, man. I'm just going to buy the cheapest gas. Yep, yep. The cheapest gas is I can make this day go forward by just being pissed off. Yep. Um, I can get through this moment. By raging. Rage is the cheapest gas. It won't get you far. It doesn't change much, but it's easy. It's easier than encouragement. It's an easier conversation to complain about the weather with someone you don't know than to ask someone about their life. Yep. This is a, 
the, this is a very specific dive into what what we're exactly talking about with the uh, the skills and attitudes. You're hanging with somebody at the office. You're in an awkward moment where they're waiting on an elevator and you're waiting on an elevator or whatever. You're both waiting on a meeting or something like that. It's starting in five minutes. You have no idea what to talk about. The The cheapest way to get that conversation going is to gossip about somebody else in the office or to complain about the weather. Yeah. It's, 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 this is a very stupid example of what we're talking about, but that's the cheapest thing to do. The more difficult and higher buy-in is to say to someone, um, Hey, it's really good to see you. Um, tell me about your weekend. Tell me how you're doing. Is there anything that I can help you with? <laughs> it's, it's, it's even hard to kind of think about like, okay, how would we search for some positivity? And here's a, here's a, here's a more difficult buy-in. How could we create a conversation that the goal is encouragement? Dude, no one knows how to do this. And, yep. and I, I say that screaming into my microphone because if I were texting this to you or emailing it to you, it would be in all caps. We do not know how to do this, which is I'm going to enter now into an awkward conversation with someone in a very few minutes, and my goal is to encourage them in some way. Dude, this is something we don't know how to do. Now, does that mean we give it up and go for the cheap gas of rage? No. It means let's enter into the awkward and make our goal to seek for some positivity and encouragement. So it's hard work. I'm not saying this is easy, and I'm not saying that we all have skills in this. I'm not saying that I'm especially good at it. Um, it's hard work, but listen, it's good work. So my encouragement is, and I think you ask a really, really good question. Why do people do this? That's a very good question. But let's divert from that question for a moment and say, let's, let's ask a new question, is, which is, how can I create moments of positivity and encouragement this week in my yep. interactions and yep. conversations? I, have, I may not have anywhere to start. Let me, let me give you a couple of tips, which are, they're just, they're dumb. They're always winners, though. Encourage someone about the way they're presenting themselves. Um, everyone, 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 everyone is nervous about the way they look today. Yeah. Yep. They're nervous about the outfit they chose. They're nervous yep. about the way their hair looks. They're nervous about the shoes that they picked. Encourage them in some way about the way they're presenting themselves. Dude, I like those shoes. Yep. I'm telling you, this feels really stupid, but when I tell you that that is a world changing sentence to speak into this world. This week, I'm not making that up. Let's just lean a little bit into encouragement and celebration in our interactions and conversations. People go for rage because it's the cheapest gas. Let's go for a harder, more difficult, more nuanced thing, which is positivity, encouragement in our interactions and conversations. And I'm telling you, it's harder but you're literally going to change the world this week. Let's go for it just a little bit. And I'm going to try to, too. And I will tell you, if you want to get some good examples, and, and I don't mean to embarrass this, brother, but 
Uh, follow Jed on Facebook. Um, oh, thanks, because man. he's doing the work of just entering into the 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 space that everybody lives in the 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 internet space just making it about fun and encouragement so you know posts about some wacky flavor of mountain dew that <laughs> the pepsi corporation has come up with or some bizarre creation that the taco bell corporation has come up with that they have called food it's it's usually a post about that or it's an encouragement of something or a celebration of something that might be some death metal band you've never heard of it might be a chalupa that's covered yeah. in doritos but maybe both but positivity and encouragement we can all take a leaf from this book and change the world this week i think that's great it could also be a death metal band called chalupa dorito <laughs> yeah that's certainly per- perfectly possible um, exactly that's the sound of the music wait, wait, and the sound you say, make after <laughs> dude i literally oh you beat me to it yeah <laughs> i also think if you go to a taco bell drive-thru and just make that noise into the thing they'll give you something you'll just make that guttural they'll be like all right pull around 325 <laughs> won't even face them uh, the great stuff from these guys, and I, I would close it out by by uh, looking towards what I think is a root cause to a, a bit of what's going on here, and that is, and the main, it's probably not the only one, but it's one that I think comes up a lot, and it ties into what these guys said on the the treatment of it, which is I think a lot of people who seem to be in a constant search for things to make them unhappy start with a fundamental assumption that they have been cheated. Mm. Mm. There's a series of promises about their place in the world and how things are going to work out. And they very, the the unhappiest people I've ever met in my life that I've interacted with seriously had in common, the idea of I did everything right and I'm still not happy. And now I have to find a reason to make that someone else's fault. And it is a, is a short trip between they told me that if I did this and made this much money and, you know, did what was in these books that, um, I would be happy and my children would respect me and X, Y, Z. It's a short trip from that to they're attempting to undermine society by changing the Eminem cartoons, <laughs> a real thing that <laughs> has been goodness. a recent talking point. And now that's an insane thing for someone to devote like an hour of prime time television to <laughs> that the green m&m is no longer sexy enough again i know things move quick by the time this comes out i can't stress enough how much that's a real thing that was brought up as a concern but uh, outside of its insanity there is if you believe that society is slipping away from what it should be and what it should be is centered around you and everything you want and you should have this central place to it there is nothing too small to make you insanely unhappy. Mm, yeah. There's nothing too small. There's nothing that's like outside of your purview, like other people's opinions on movies and food and whatever become things that are just another drip in that well of something that proves why you should be unhappy. I can't stand it, Matt. You will like Magnum PI. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> You will respect a mustache that fine, and that is not a world <laughs> I want to live in where they don't. And here's here's the thing about that is as you as you've probably picked up if you're in the question, 
That is no way to live. But the antidote to that, I think combining and leading into a lot of what Lee was talking about is, and this is another thing no one wants to hear, but it's unfortunately a cliche that's true. And that is starting with thankfulness, finding something positivity will naturally breed out of thankfulness. If you don't know how to be, if you just are stuck in a gray cloud and don't know how to be positive, be thankful for anything. Uh, For the example of the weather, like, don't be angry that it's cold. Be find a reason to be thankful that the sun is out or it's not snowing or it's snowing instead of raining something, find something positive to be thankful about. And uh, you're going to find something that comes a lot closer to that. So I I sensed a little bit of trepidation in your question that we could, that anyone could be on this slippery slope to uh, just having their worldview defined by unhappiness. And it does happen to a lot of people, but there are reasons it happens and identifying some of those reasons and then applying the really, really good um, advice these guys gave you is going to get you a long way towards not going down that path. All right. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, the bridge, Chicago dot tumblr.com slash ask. If you want to keep that entirely anonymous, we're going to take out the song this week. We have been talking about some heavy stuff. We've had a lot of fun. We're going to take out with something a little upbeat, a little positive. This is Lee's version of Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus, a sentiment you just can't go wrong with. Take that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. The Say That Podcast. We've decided to make everyone angry through our upcoming mashup of Carbon's The Champion with Queen's We Are The Champions. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast unmeasured boundless free rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over Never, never